Two percent. Two percent. Two percent. Uh, the two percent's right over here. Oh, hey, Jenna. I didn't know you shopped here. Uh, yeah. Anything to support local food. Know what I mean? I definitely do. Though that's not the only thing you do in the name of Good Eats, obviously. Well, true. I also host Eating Matters every Wednesday at 5 p.m. where we talk about food policy and how it impacts all of us. Be sure to tune in. All right, gotta get the plug in there. I get it. Yep, I'm hashtag shameless. You know what else you can do to support the local food community, right? Well, yeah. Make a donation to Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. That's right. And I gotta call you out on the whole local thing. What do you mean? Well, The Farm Report, A Taste of the Past, Japan Eats. Those are shows that take you around the country and the world. I'll give you that. So how can listeners give their support? It's pretty easy. Just go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the big red heart in the top right corner. It's pretty easy from there. Thanks. Today's program is brought to you by Cane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit cane5.com. I'm Greg Blaze, host of Cutting the Curd. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Cynthia Cherish Maller and Reverend DJ Cherish the Love, and you are listening to Primary Food on Heritage Radio Network. It is thunderstorming above us. It's a little bit scary, but I feel safe inside these food containers. Food containers? Radio show containers. Anyway, it's a little disconcerting, but before I forget, let me tell you how to reach out to me and get my attention on social media, Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at DJ Cherish the Love. That's spelled L-U-V and hashtag using primary food, heritage underscore radio, and hashtag RevLove. So welcome to Primary Food. And what exactly is primary food? I learned this really great concept in nutrition school at IIN, the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, that the food you eat, you know, the stuff you put in our mouths and chew and enjoy, the pizza here at Roberta's, we consider that secondary food. And primary food is everything else in life that nourishes us before we sit down and eat. And that's stuff like enjoying music, reading a book, hanging out with friends, cooking food, a great job, creative expression, filmmaking playing games, exercise, and I'm so glad that I learned this because it was the high-quality primary food that I kept in my life while going through chemotherapy last year that kept me happy and healing my cancer. So you can call in live if you're listening right now, 718-497-2128. Again, the number is 718-497-2128. So Primary Food is produced by Heritage Radio Network, a nonprofit member-supported radio station devoted to all things food. So please help keep Heritage Radio Network alive by becoming a member today. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart to donate. Do it today. I will love you forever, and I will totally, totally send you good karmic vibes 
And uh, if you donate, you know, they're not going to turn the lights off on us, right? <laughs> The roof is leaking. Help yeah, the us. The roof is leaking Please right help. now. If you donate, you can help plug these holes. <laughs> That's David in the booth. Hey, David. <laughs> so, continue, continually, sur- ah, I can't even speak because honestly, the sound here is kind of like freaking me out. Um, I'm still super inspired by Eric Repair's new book, 32 Yokes. And I'm continuing. Can you hear the thunder, David? <laughs> That's definitely getting on, on the recording. That's definitely getting on air. I love it. <clears throat> okay, so I'm continuing on the topic of primary food in the form of creativity. Creativity in the kitchen, invention with food, food and media. And it is so cool to have on today's show filmmaker Lars Fuchs. Hi there. And my dear friend... Sarah Thompson. Hello. Executive chef at Extra Fancy in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Now, this is very special for me to have Sarah on the show because it's kind of because of Sarah that I'm even sitting here. Mm, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Everything Cynthia tries to do or just puts it out there that she wants to do, she gets it. Uh, Sarah, I, mean, I haven't seen you in a credit. year and a half. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> but no. Sarah needs a little credit for, for you know, putting this in my life. And, and let's talk about back. that. We go yeah. way back. So let's talk about that. Sarah had this really fantastic idea one day. One day. <laughs> one day, some years ago. One day. And actually, he ties into this, too. Lars does. Um, but, yeah, I mean, basically, this idea brought you guys to me, um, which is really, really cool. And now we're sitting here. It's like a full circle. Four and a half I years later. Yeah. It's so crazy. It's amazing. Um, and actually, how I met you is through someone that went to the nutrition school. That's you. right. Yeah. That's right. Check that out. Yeah. Crazy. Full circle. So, um, basically... I um, one day had this idea while I was doing a cooking demo at Union Square. I'm just going to go straight to the point. Right into it. Um, I had this idea to make uh, sea salt because nobody was making sea salt in the New York area. And uh, I'll I'll get to this later, but I I ran into Lars like the first day I had this idea when I was like cooking um, a dish. And also that's kind of how I connected um, with Cynthia because I met her through a friend and I needed some labeling and uh, branding advice. And so I came to Cynthia, and she kind of just watched me through this, like, four-year process of building a business and, you know, like, the building, the closing of the business, <laughs> and just, like, how that happens through and, life. And all the partying and in between. The partying, we the events. Some amazing the, parties, rooftop, ladies' all the nights, amazing everything, people. Heritage Radio Network Heritage Radio, in. we did, like, two different Absolutely. Uh, ladies' nights. Um, this all makes sense on right our now. rooftop, where I actually launched the salt business. I started making salt on a rooftop because I was looking for... Uh, first, I was looking for land, and you know, I was new to New York. I moved here five years ago. A year in, I'm like, I'm looking for land to uh, make salt, and <laughs> that's that's what you know. I looked do. for like maybe five <laughs> days, and I'm like, there's no land here. I'm gonna have to look in other places. And I looked to urban farms, and also places like Roberta's. Um, how are they growing um, herbs or something simple like right that? Right above our heads. Above our heads, yeah, exactly. Right now. Um, <laughs> um, so I found a rooftop in Midtown and um, eventually made, you know, contacts through my work. Um, I was a line cook back then and, you know, um, just basically networking through chefs. Um, I came to know about Heritage Radio and got in touch with uh, Aaron from Heritage Radio and um, Aaron Fairbanks. And I just saw this, like, spark in in your eyes and I was like okay she's really talented (laughs) Cynthia is so talented and I don't know you need to be on air (laughs) so I was like come DJ at my event and we basically just partied everyone you know got along perfectly and I ate so much salt 
so much in like two years time (laughs) i remember i would go to your house and i would be like i'm I'm not really liking this thing about the label. Let's just do this. We'd sit there for four hours and, and would, maybe talk about design finger, for like an hour. I would finger salt. <laughs> yeah, it was really inappropriate. Like, no. <laughs> she would sit there with like when I used to have it in bags and she would just sit there like taking one crystal at a it sounds like, like a now. Taking one crystal at a time. One druggy. crystal at a time. <laughs> totally. And she's like, I'm so thirsty. And I would like go get her water. I'm like, stop eating the salt. Because I used to make these infused salts and it was like Thai chili and celery. So she'd go between the different flavors. She's like, I miss I have celery. It's like sweet, and then I need spicy, I and then I need I, I, I need really, salty. I'm really like, you're getting it. salty when you eat all of them. Just stop eating. You know, but the thing is, it's like as I was designing the labels for you, I was like, I need to know what this tastes like so I can yeah. choose the proper I need color. To become one with it. Bullshit. I was just like getting addicted to salt. It was amazing. Yeah, and your blood pressure skyrocketed, and then we couldn't be friends anymore. That's why we haven't seen each other in like a year and a half. For my, your own, my good, temper I cut was her out off. of control. <laughs> I think that your the salt that you made. I mean, we have to talk for a minute about how yeah. you made the salt. Yeah, it's still to this day the most funky, awesome, warmest, like special salt I've and just had. The story of it is like what I really, really loved. Like it came from basically nowhere. I had um, had this idea at the green market and said, okay, like I don't know how to get ocean water i don't know what's going on so let's just go to home depot because that's the diy place where everyone and that's goes, where i'll right? get ocean <laughs> that's water where I'll get, like, <laughs> at least the tools to put something together like and i wasn't looking to make a business or anything um so i bought one five gallon bucket and actually lars drove me to the beach with a couple other oh, helpers wow. see um, history here history, history like the very first time i made salt you were there we were running a little bit behind schedule because we were getting some like zip car or something and uh, we were trying to make it to Jones Beach because we're like, Jones Beach is probably the cleanest, like, closest beach to New York. Uh, cleanest is like, I'm trying to be <laughs> nice here, okay? We're cleanest. also <laughs> juxtaposing it against uh, Coney Island because mm-hmm. we made it to Coney Island. We did not make it to Jones Wait, Beach. Did you say juxtaposing? Because that, that makes a lot of <laughs> sense. Because Coney Island no, I was, I was just trying to make in, a pun. <laughs> I was just in Coney Island a week and a half ago. The water's brown. It was it, Coney Island. I hope you're listening to me. Because you are the filthiest I've ever seen in my entire 40 years in New York it City living. It has a charm. It has just don't. So I basically took a five-gallon bucket of water from Coney Island because we couldn't make it to Jones Coney Beach Jones? before the sun set. No, we had to go to Coney Island because I'm like, we have the zip car. We already paid for it. We didn't serve the salt. I did not sell the salt. I'm like making myself sound terrible right now. So we take the, the water. I go back to the house. I don't have like a space for my business yet. So I put just dishes of water out in my friend's apartment. And we're like, let's just wait. Six weeks later, my friend calls me and says, this is not happening. I still have like water just sitting and probably like, (laughs) you know, I don't know what's happening. It's not, um, it's not evaporating. And I'm like, just chill out. Like, it's not bothering you. Six weeks later. This is a good friend. Yeah. I'm like, just chill out. Um, (laughs) And now his girlfriend, his ex-girlfriend is like my best friend. So I'm like, you know, good things. You bonded. Also, like more good things came out of this. You bonded through So she put up with my uh, my salt water, too. Um, So the week after, he calls me. He's like, okay, I'm coming over. Like, I have the salt. I'm like, oh, okay, now you have salt. Like, seven weeks later, okay? Oh, wow. So we have salt. It turns out gray. You saw it. It had, like... Well, because in that it was like, like Hawaiian <laughs> tropic flavored salt. Yeah, yeah. I'm like um, a little bit of um, you know hot dogs on the boardwalk. It oh, had like a lot of different nuances gross. in there, and I was like, but you know, it's not something I would sell or show to anyone. So at least I do the concept worked. Uh-huh. Um, 
And going back to the green market, I was like, okay, how can I make this better? I eventually, after going week after week to a farther out beach, I, you know, I was like, I'm not going back to Coney Island. Thank I was you. like, okay, I have to partner with fishermen. They're getting the best fish off of Montauk. Um, you know, maybe they would have access to the best water. So 300 miles off the coast, 50 miles off the coast in that range, they would go and fish. And I'm like, can I please just give you these five gallon buckets? I will pay you <laughs> per bucket to fill up this water like bucket and bring it back to me. They're like, you're crazy. I went through like three different <laughs> fisheries. They're like, uh, no, no, no. And finally someone said, you're nuts, but sure, whatever. We find this entertaining. <laughs> so I get the buckets of water. It gets a little overwhelming in my studio apartment. This so is I'm like, so okay, wild. we have to find some solution. So I finally found, uh, through a friend of a friend, a uh, rooftop where we had all these great events. I put up an 8 by 12 greenhouse, um, was only supplying maybe like 20 to 25 pounds on the best months. Uh, it was all solar evaporated. This is no. just bringing me back. Oh my God. I, I didn't DJ'd. have a gym membership. Yeah. Remember it, yeah. I took the buckets like up seven flights your in, in an elevator and then three flights manual. And I was like, Oh my God, I was so well, unshaved. I, I'm, this is, <laughs> just, this is so awesome. It's bringing me back to the, the salt greenhouse or what do you mm-hmm. call it? The salt house. Yeah. Salt house. That was my DJ booth. Yep. We have so many pictures. <laughs> now we have to post them. <laughs> I miss it. We post I miss it. So much fun. So that like really, brought a lot of amazing people together um and then the business kind of just grew from there because i was like okay i got um also doing the cooking demos at union square still i was secretly using my salt for garnish and when chefs would walk by or anybody i'm like and i put my salt on top you know uh-huh. i don't know if that's legal but uh now they know oh <laughs> well <laughs> um so yeah peter hoffman um of back 40 and um steve dustin who actually just moved to san francisco but he used to be um from Monument Lane, the chef there. So, like, these two key people really, like, let me know, okay, they were chefs that had these seasonal menus, and they were really into these, like, hyper-local foods. Uh, what does that mean, hyper-local? Well, he's more... Okay, I'm going to ask Lars this. about Like, about Lars that. really okay. knows hyper-local, but I'm just saying, like, you know, really sourcing from farms within a certain distance. And, uh-huh. like, okay. Um, you know, actually knowing the farmer and... When you're a chef, you're like, okay, like everyone buys Maldon salt. I'm not knocking yeah. Maldon. It's a yeah. great, it's been around for like 200 years. So um, they're amazing. But I'm like, okay, if we want a salt, like we have all this salt water, you know, I'm going to do this. Try to sell it to a couple of chefs. Um, they use it on like tasting menus and just like, then it became like a regular thing, especially at Monument Lane. They would always use my salt. And I'm like, okay, you amazing. know what? Let's expand. I know I'm only making 25 pounds a month, but you know what? Let's like go for it. Because I'm like, if I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail big. <laughs> so I might as well just go all in. This is, and I'm having know, fun Sarah, doing it. Sarah is so creative <laughs> about this. She's like, hell, you know, like let's, let's, might as well do it. let's build an epic failure to like, talk about on yeah, here. Yeah, like. You know, burn and like crash and burn. You know, you know but I want to use that word failure really loosely no. because you learned so much, so much, and I'm still using what I learned just as as a business, just like struggling that much, and like there's more struggle. I mean, that it's I can tell like, you it, about it never ends. You know, but it's like it's real time. Um, like one person trying to build a business alone. It also taught me like props. I can't do everything alone. Props. And huge props to you, Sarah. Because all right, let me <laughs> let me crazy. paint some more of a picture for whoever whoever's listening. That Sarah went from the small salt house to then building. A gargantuan salt house. 5,000 square feet, like a football field. Out on Long Island. I really went big. I've been there. Yeah. It was amazing. It was epic. Out in the middle of nowhere, Long Island. Uh, um, incredible. We were grilling corn and things out and there. making lobster rolls and, and crab bakes. With then one day, 
So it was beautiful, <laughs> and I was also living back in the city, so I would have to go out. Um, God, it took me like a, an hour and a half to get there Dedication. by you know driving. Like, 19-hour days, no joke. And I was, like, eventually to a point where, like, I'm still doing this alone. I don't have enough money to pay another person. I don't care. I love this. You talked to me about I'm sleeping going all in, in there. <laughs> oh, no. I, I literally called the landlord of this um, land, and there was, like, a garden shed. Like, no electricity, no nothing. Like, floor caving in, walls caving in. I'm like, hey, can I rent this thing? And he's like, yeah, $75 a month. I'm like, okay, cool. Because I just, I was so... Like, I need to be there, and I don't have time to go back and forth, that three nights a week, I would sleep in a garden shed. But I put new drywall up. <laughs> I mean, I had help. I was you there. Saw I saw it. I fixed it. it up. I got, she, like, a mini got fridge. fancy. There was drywall and a mini fridge. <laughs> and I had Wi-Fi. <laughs> and a sharp knife. <laughs> so, like, that's what it takes to build a really old-fashioned business. I don't know if anyone does it. I did it. Um and then one day, uh, you know, I had everything insured out there. One day, it was January. God, like, this coming January would be two years ago. Wow. Um, big snowstorm. It didn't really hit New York City, but out there it was, like, six-foot snowdrifts. And so I go out there and, like, you know, when I could plow my car out of the snow that did fall in the city, I got out there and the whole roof had caved in. Like, what the did aluminum. You, I mean, when you drove up, Ugh, you expected um, it. I know you expected it because yeah, you told I was me like, you're you going to go what? out and I'm, I was like, hmm? I'm expecting, like my dad says, expect the worst and never be disappointed. <laughs> I was still disappointed. <laughs> I drove out there and I couldn't even drive up to the building. I had to like walk through snow and it was like up over my waist still. It had been like five days and I was just wow. dying to get out there, but the trains weren't working as well. So um, I go out there and like the aluminum arches just going bent. all the way down just completely bent like you could not recognize it i call my insurance company and this is when i really like was like okay um so fine print on new york city commercial farm insurance no coverage of snow damage so a lot of other farmers that had like really oh. established business in long island like had a really hard time getting things back up wow. um and i attempted to get you know repair guys out there and tear the whole building down and redo everything. And I was wow. like, but also like real life hit. And I'm like, okay, if this isn't like at least helping me to stay afloat, I have to like adult even more. And like, you have to break up with I it. I have to break up with it. And that was the <laughs> hardest. So, and a, a lot of people, you know, and I went to culinary school too. And as a chef, a lot of people don't talk about failures and it's not mm. failures. Like I'm How do you thankful. feel about it today? I, this was an incredible food creative project. When I see it, I don't think of that mangled building. How I did think it feel of when like, you were making the actual salt? You know, that actual primary oh, like, food I'm activity. I'm really doing something. Like, I'm not... Um, I mean, I wanted to keep it so organic that I wanted to make my own packaging. That's how crazy I got. <laughs> You're printing it. But I was it like, I am <laughs> literally making a food product that, like, I don't, I'm just taking water. And I'm like, I'm only encouraging Mother Nature to do what she does a little bit quicker. Yeah. And so that was, like, the really cool thing about it. And uh, I don't know. I just remember, I mean, I still have everyone in my life that, like, helped me get through these, this whole building a business, closing a business. And, like, the most hurtful thing to me wasn't, like, okay, we're closing. It was, like, losing the customers. Not mm. because of money, because it wasn't about that. It was mostly, like, I don't get to, like, you know, network as much in that capacity. Right. Like, now I get to do it as a chef, but it was different to drop by restaurants. And so, you like, actually, hey, chef, like, you like, missed that part. Oh, my then. God. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
the like, purveyor. Hey, we have this event. Okay, here's like five pounds. Just take it and like just five have pounds fun with of it. salt. How far does that go? That goes pretty far. That goes really far. But like also, it takes a lot of labor. <laughs> yeah, it takes and a lot, lot of labor driving to make five from, pounds of salt. I mean, your salt was featured on a few places. Yeah. I have a little list here. <laughs> the Cooking Channel. Yeah. No big deal. No big deal. <laughs> Savour. Is that how Savour you say it? magazine? <laughs> yep. Uh, Epoch Times. Yeah. Yeah. Kinfolk Magazine, mm-hmm. Domino Magazine, some little publication called Martha Stewart. Yeah. Who is she? I'm just I have kidding. no idea. <laughs> Edible Manhattan, Edible East End, Victory Garden on PBS. Yeah. They, they Love shot that, show. that uh, piece on you and XOP Magazine. And you're also on Food Network. Yeah, recently. That's a funny one. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Lars is silently It's called clapping. Cutthroat Kitchen. I am ashamed to say that I only watched maybe five episodes of the beginning of the show. And it, we're like in season 10 when I went on. And it was more about the cooking in the beginning. And when I went, it was more about like how to sabotage another chef. Oh. Where it's not about the cooking. Oh. And I was like, oh, this is different. Okay. <laughs> and you backed out. No, no, no. I, yeah. I did. You, I, 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 I went for it. I, like I said, I like to fail big. No, I got through the second <laughs> round, but then I got sabotaged with like, I had to, um, wow. yeah, other chefs, you get $25,000 and they're like, okay, here's money. And you can bet against, um, the other players to get them like, you know, voted off the Island, I guess, whatever. Um, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> kitchen I got voted off on my cachatori chicken cachatori That was like the last, the second to last round before dessert. And I got sabotaged by like they, you know what a weather vane is? Yeah, like yeah. a rooster, like sure. it's that, like the size of a what plate. What does it have to it's do flat, with? It's flat. There's no sides. They tell me to make a tomato sauce, which like a cacciatore is like a tomato-based sauce with what chicken. Does it have to do with a weather vane? <laughs> so they sabotaged me by saying that is the only cooking vessel that you can use. So I had to make this. By the way, it tasted delicious. You can watch <laughs> the episode. But they were like, I don't really understand because it's the translation from Italian is. Um, hunter stew and they're like the hunter's gonna be really fucking hungry after this because it's just like you know i can only cook that much sauce on a flat like i'm supposed to be making sauce on a flat like a table you know a very small plate-sized table um so that was interesting and yeah and my mistake looking back on it is that i didn't spend any money i spent maybe like three thousand dollars but like i also come from like jewish blood So meaning what? <laughs> so like I can say that I just didn't want, like I was like if I want to win I want to take all the money you know <laughs> okay but born and raised in Arizona like, it, inappropriate <laughs> I know I know um, yeah no Arizona there's no, yeah anyways uh, I just I wanted to be like if I'm gonna win I'm gonna take twenty five thousand dollars I think the winner took like three grand and I'm like that's a lot of work for three grand wow so I, I walked away with nothing. Except so, for the story <laughs> about yeah, me not wanting to spend money. <laughs> sea salt and uh, sea salt as a hobby, and then onto TV. And yeah. well, I mean, what what's your what's your background? So you aren't from the East Coast. You're not from, from the East Coast. So I was um, born in Texas. Very briefly, was there for like six months of my life. Um, moved to Arizona and basically grew up there. So I'm not used to this humidity in New York still. Oh, for years, really. Yeah, but you're always surrounded heat. by cooking. You, you yeah. My dad cooking. is actually a soil scientist. My mom oh, wow. um, cooks a lot, so it was always like he had a garden in the backyard. So I was always 
when I had time when I was a kid, I was like digging in the dirt. You can there's pictures of me like eating worms and digging in the dirt and like <laughs> yeah, weird stuff. I'll eat anything basically. <laughs> if you know anything about me, um, no. But then my mom would cook these vegetables, and they still do it to this day. Um, you know, it's just like I kind of really knew where my vegetables and fruit came from, and then. Uh, I left Arizona and went to Texas Tech, and I had this grand idea to study. Um, I had traveled a little bit um, to, like, China and Israel and a couple Uh places that I'm just like, okay, I love the world, and I want to learn another language. I want to do, like, international something. Exactly. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to study Mandarin Chinese, and I'm going to get an international business degree, like, international economics. Actually, this is something I didn't know about you. Yeah, I know. Surprise. Wait a minute. I think I know. No, for a hot second. And now I only know how to say one thing, but I'm not going to say it on air. Is it it not? (laughs) No, okay. My my parents also used to um, read me a book called Big Bird in China, and I don't actually remember anything from the class. I remember Uh what they said. It's like, hello, Big Bird. Say it. Ni hao, Danielle. <laughs> I'm like, you have I'm to like okay, like I have to say it now. Okay, anyways, totally. And then Sarah subject. spoke, but then Chinese. I was like, I want to learn a language and I want to do something international. But then every day I come home from school and like literally slash off the day. Okay, only 375 days left of school. I'm like, why am I living like this? Like, uh, and then I would go in the kitchen and cook, and it would be like my Zen moment, you know. And I'm like, okay, you know, what? I can learn a language some other day. <laughs> you know, it's always open to me. Um, and that's probably what led you to Le Cordon Bleu. Yeah. So and I then went to like for a Colegio and Sons yeah, in New York cooking school, and then yeah, went to California, then came here. Um, and then really like the green market is like, you know, I worked for at Colegio and Sons for a hot second and then ended up working for Peter Hoffman at Back 40, did a couple consulting things and now I'm at Extra Fancy. So, so. head chef at Extra Fancy, tell us about Extra Fancy and tell, tell the listeners about our event coming okay, up. Okay. Yeah. This is a, a recent, um, recent development, <laughs> recent development, um, breaking news. Uh, we're having a actual, um, crab bake, uh, the 24th. So um, Cynthia is going to be DJing. Um, it's at Extra Fancy. It is really cool hip spot in Williamsburg. It's on the corner of Roebling and Metropolitan. So we're going to be doing uh, beers and unlimited uh, blue crabs. So um, anyone at Heritage that's listening, um, maybe Erin, she came to my uh, crab bake out in Long Island. Please come. Yeah, it was um, it was awesome. But this time Cynthia is going to be DJing. Please come. So it's 6.30 and 8.30, two seatings. And again, what day? Uh, 24th of this month. It's going to be a Wednesday. So the address of extra fancy 302 Metropolitan Avenue. We're going to, we're going to post this and and promote it and have all these people coming in. So we're going to take a little bit of a break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk to Lars filmmaking and the project you guys are working on. Yeah. Cool. This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery, calling in from Spring Mountain above the Napa Valley. Thank you for listening to this show. In our industrial world of highly processed food and wine, we support the values of Heritage Radio Network. All of us at Cane encourage you to seek out individuality and beauty in everything you eat and drink. To learn more about us, go to Cane5.com.
back, and I'm here with chef, head chef, extra fancy, Sarah Thompson. Yes. Right? And uh, Lars Fuchs. Hi there. Filmmaker. So, you know, you guys are working on a project. Tell me how you guys met and what the project is you're working on. So the project is called Food City, Feast of the Five Boroughs. And it's a short documentary film about uh, creating a, a very special hyperlocal meal, uh, specifically a four-course meal for eight people using only ingredients that are farmed, fished, or foraged from inside the city limits of New York City. That's hyperlocal. So uh, okay. I don't know if hyperlocal is a word, but I it's, think you came up with it. <laughs> uh, we certainly feel like we're the first person to. We've certainly never heard other people use it, but uh, my co-producer Matt Fleischman is uh, you know very committed to sustainable eating, sustainable sourcing of food, uh, reducing his carbon footprint, and so on. And so through him and through the zeitgeist, I had been, become aware of you know the idea of being a locavore which is usually thought of as like 250 to 300 miles from where you live. Okay. And, uh, okay. So that, that concept was out there, and I'd heard of that. And um, Matt and I were in a film master's program at City College back in 2011 through 2013. And we had been assigned to a team, a three-person team, to make a short five-minute documentary. And as the assigned director, it was my job to come up with a concept. Uh my original concept disappeared. It literally went to jail. So uh, two weeks into the program, the semester, uh, I was without a subject for our documentary and had to scramble for some other idea. And I was just literally at wit's end. And I remembered Matt and his locavorism. And I had a background as an editor and I'd done a lot of reality TV. And somehow those two sort of things fused in my brain. And I just thought of the sort of semi-reality show-like challenge about locavorism. It's like, oh, you want to be locavore? Let's see how local you can go. Oh, a little bit that. of that New York sort of It was attitude. almost like zombie apocalypse. A little bit, yeah. Parts of it. You know, it's <laughs> like, like if you didn't and, uh, anything, what would you do? You know, so there's <laughs> a little bit that. of that ironic detachment that I brought to it that my co-producer and good friend Matt just missed. He thought I was being very serious, and he was like, he was really into it. So he jumped on board, and uh, we pitched it to the class, and the professor in the class thought we were good to go. And our, uh, at that time, we had a third partner, but he uh, later left the, left the project. Uh, it was, they were all on board, and so we said, all right, let, let's make this film. And uh, at the time, I thought, okay, what can we do? Uh, we can go to the park, and we can capture some squirrels and pigeons, and... <laughs> We can find some. Pigeons delicious. We can way. find some people who can teach <laughs> us how to, how to do that. That's, and I thought, okay, the, those two ingredients, and then the only other thing I thought for sure at the outset that I knew I could do, ingredient-wise, was salt. You know, I I knew mm. about salt as a thing that you could do. I you know heard of Gandhi and the march to the sea, and you know, so I knew that salt was this thing. And I thought, okay, well, we'll at least have salt and maybe some pigeons. Um, <laughs> And oh, you're serious about the pigeons? Completely. Totally. Yeah. Oh, I, I really, oh, we I, got into some really weird conversations. Like, I, thought I thought that thought was where we were going to have to go, because like, I didn't know about food. I was very, So the irony is that, you know, my co-producer, <laughs> Matt... just made a vomiting I just face. kind of, like, made a vomity <laughs> face, because I once had a pigeon in my mouth. I did, too, That's and it was unusual. delicious. It wasn't a New York City one. No, no, no. I'm I mean, guessing. like, a, a New York pigeon? City pigeon flew into my mouth. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, its wing was in my mouth. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was well, oily and salty and horrible. Salty. Right. Sorry. No, no, That's no, why no, I thought you were right. kidding about the pigeon. No, we, Continue, I, please. I, I, I was very ignorant of, like, 
other than the sort of general awareness that locavorism was something that people cared about, carbon footprint was a real thing, yeah. um, which I'm not trying to, I mean, I, I believed in those things, but I wasn't, you know, living the, you know, walking the walk. So I really didn't know about local food in New York. I didn't know there was such a thing. And so I thought, well, okay, well, that's what we can find. Um, but my co-producer, Matt, he, he was much more tuned in. So he said, well, you know what? New York has actually a source for local foods called the Green Market. And I'm like, there you go. That makes sense. So we went down to the Green Market. It's like a, literally our very first research expedition. Ah, I wonder who you met at the Green Market. And uh, there we thought, well, let's go ask. You know, well, let's ask somebody. So where do you ask at the Green Market? You go to the Green Market information tent. And there was Sarah cooking matzah brai. Yeah, I was. Huh? <laughs> oh, wow. And, uh, you know, I don't know whether it was Matt or I who, who sort of first approached her first, but uh, we just explained our project. And did she know if any of the farmers here in the market were, you know, within the city? And I don't think you knew that, but mm -hmm. we know when you were fascinated by the project and we just sort of talk, started talking about it. And then all of a sudden the salt thing came up. And that was really like, oh, you want to do salt? We want to do salt. That's like great. It was like just Sarah's like I the skies salt. opened, yeah. and it was like, okay, this is really a, a sign, you know, that, that this, was, this was. I uh, might have said, you can't do this without me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, you can't cook this meal without I know you can sea make salt, salt, but not you, really. you can't leave. Sign this paper right now. So uh, a few days cool later, we uh, we uh, hopped in a car with Sarah and some of her colleagues, and, and that's when uh, you went to Coney Island. We went out to Coney Island. Wow, there you. Go, what a beautiful way to tell this story! Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. You shouldn't always hop in and cars with strange people <laughs> that you don't really know, but this one it I turned out great. Once before, <laughs> I'm like, Hey, what's up? Remember me? Yeah, cool. Get in your car. At the green market, just some New York random guys who walk up to you with a camera. Don't recommend it usually. Well, you had your camera with you, that's why we did. It's yeah. just a prop. <laughs> And, uh, you know, so we were like a, like a, th uh, you know, Laurel and Hardy crew. We had Shah, who was a very tall, skinny guy. We had Matt, who's a smaller guy. And then me, sort of a thicker, heavyset guy. So we must have been a real comedy troupe. Oh, uh, my gosh. That Sarah saw ambling up to her and started asking her questions about, where can we get food from inside the city? <laughs> I was like, there's a burrito cart over there. <laughs> He's like, no, 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 you don't understand. <laughs> Oh, wow. That's so fascinating because I'm starting to remember you telling me what was happening, but now I'm getting to understand what had happened. Mm. But you have worked on, on film projects since then. Is that Did you do some work with Food City, too? Or? Well, we actually like started, well, we started filming it. Uh -huh. Well, we had a lot of um, times where we would like meet up and just talk about the concept. Um, mm. And we actually decided that it was going to be a larger and more long-running project i think mm. than we thought initially um and really you guys did all the work to mm. do like you know this is the food that we can get you and then we figured you know it was mostly farmed fished foraged within new york so new york has four different seasons so we're like mm. okay this is gonna at least take a year because the things ah. that we find say that we started in january right or let's say like april right it's it's spring in new york the certain things in New York what City do you find are going to grow. In New York? Well, in, uh, <laughs> in the early part of the season, uh, there's not much in the farms, the rooftop farms, which we came to discover. Uh, I didn't know about Brooklyn Grange and, uh, mm. you know, uh, North Brooklyn Farms and many of these other places that are growing foods. But, you know, in the early spring, they maybe have some shoots, maybe some, some greens coming up. Uh -huh. um, not maybe some asparagus. They have some asparagus out of Queens County Farm and stuff. So not a lot, a little bit of greens, you know, some herbs. Uh, and that's not enough for a meal, really. 
and, the, and in the parks and stuff, you can forage some herbs and things. There's various spices and herbs that we learned Where about. Where can you really forage in this city? You can That's forage on the sidewalks. Uh, <laughs> probably outside on the street here, there's probably mugwort. And you can it's grab, a hallucinogen if you smoke it. And Sarah knows all the important stuff. Uh, it, it sort of smells like rosemary. Looks a little bit like rosemary. And uh, you can smoke it. Uh, you can eat it. Uh, you can make a tea out of it. You can put it in your bath as a muscle relaxant. And it's an invasive weed that grows everywhere. Wow. And you pointed out to me once, when we walk out of the station. Yeah. <laughs> Chances are it's uh, somewhere on the block. It grows wow. as a weed. What everywhere. else? I mean, obviously um, dandelion. Like mulberries. Dandelion, dandelion mulberry, mulberries. Mulberries are one of my favorite mulberries things Mulberries are all. so good. You guys those got are so those many berries with the, the purple berries. Yeah, they're like purple. tiny little yeah. They come in beads. white as well. Yes. Yeah. And um, they're incredibly sweet, and they're all over. They're really everywhere around the city. But no one knows about them because oh. they're very fragile. So if you were to try to put them in a box and put the box on a truck and drive it to a store, they, they turn to a mush. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. no one has ever turned it into a commercial crop. Oh. But New York City has hundreds of mulberry trees. And, you know, in May and June, you can just go help yourself to this unbelievably rich, sweet bounty of, of berries. Safe mm-hmm. to eat? Completely. New York City? Yeah. Funk, no problem. <laughs> well, it's New York City, so I can't. I mean, we didn't have anything tested, so I cannot conclusively ever. I mean, we look is, good, right? You guys are alive. You're sitting. But in front I've of been me. eating New York City mulberries for a while, and I'm in pretty good health, according to my doctor. So, what um, else? So that's interesting. And that's what part of the year? Uh, that's May and June. Okay. End of May, early so then June. we're working into fall. So like fall, right. and then uh, so over the summer, of course, you're going to get a lot of like eventually carrots and cucumbers are going to come up. Uh, other things like that. But, you know, we were planning on eating our dinner, having our dinner in the fall. So we're like, what are we going to do? We uh-huh. froze a bunch of stuff. But I think Pickled. what was uh, our most successful thing was to pickle them with the salt that we made. Mm-hmm. Amazing. We yeah. made oh. lacto-fermented uh, pickles using most of the cucumbers and what? carrots. And that was something I had learned to do for the project. I, I had no idea about lacto-fermented pickles. I need to learn how to pickle properly because I pickled some cucumbers and they became mush oh. pickle, cucumbers are very tricky because they're very delicate yeah but Carrots they're the most common easier. pickle yeah. <laughs> like, well. yeah so you have to experiment a little bit but they're pretty straightforward yeah. and so that was something i learned and then there's hawthorn berries all over the city what does that look like it's uh sort of like a very small apple or kind of a big mm. big red cherry you know red in the apple oh. red as opposed to a dark cherry red you know and those are trees or bushes those are trees yeah and they're, they're in Central this. Park, and they're in. Uh, we got a bunch of ours from 25th and 2nd, uh, right outside one of the Bellevue buildings. Really? Their tree hangs over the fence, and Matt and I just reached up and pulled a and bunch. And you're just off. harvesting right off of this just building, and right yeah, they would the they would text me like every other week. Oh, hey, we got this. Oh, we're gonna pick all this, and I'm like, okay, cool. Like you know, like oh, we should do this with this. Like we should make a mulberry saucer. Yeah. Hyper local for uh, real. And there's there's cool. They're experts in New York. I mean, we learned a lot from people who've already been doing this for a long time. Uh, give a shout out to Leda Meredith, mm-hmm. who's an author and forager. She took us on a tour of Prospect Park and showed yes, us of course. Uh, yeah. that you can eat the leaves of the eastern redbud when they spring out in uh, about April. They're very sweet. They're delicious. Wow. And they're just going to fall off the tree anyway. So, you know, towards the end of the season, just grab a handful and munch on them. How do you know what not to eat? Well, uh, you trust the person you're with. So I, <laughs> I don't eat anything I haven't done research on, and I okay. highly recommend that everybody... Make sure they know what they're doing. Because you can't eat grass. You can't eat. Like. Well, you, but it won't kill you either. Grass will just go right through you. Uh, I mean, I say. You know, yeah. if you're having some stoppage, grass might actually <laughs> be good for you. 
Uh, but yeah, we trusted our experts to show us what was edible. Uh, and um, so another person I'd like to throw a thank you out is to Steve Brill, Wild Man Steve oh. Brill. Wild he he man. gave us a tour through Central Park. And cool. as an example of things not to eat, um, you, there's these uh, bushes called yews. Yew, yew trees or bushes are like a evergreen. They have these bright red berries yes. that we've all been taught not to eat. Well, it turns out it's the seed that's inedible and toxic. The fruit, the actual flesh of the fruit is quite edible. So if you spit out the seed, and I have done that. I have eaten a berry and, and not you're died. alive. So, <laughs> uh, so we trusted these experts. Another expert I'd really like to give a shout-out to is Gary Linkoff of the New York Mycological Society. Mm-hmm. And these guys, uh, men and women uh, in the society, are really terrific. These are amateur mycologists, some of them very advanced uh, degrees and so on. They really know their mushrooms. And they... Uh, they lead free tours, or some free and some you have to become a member. The membership is not expensive. Uh, in all of the city parks and areas, we went with them through Woodlawn Cemetery and found quite a few mushrooms there. And another member of wow. the society, uh, a wonderful fellow named Claude Martz, found us a basketball-sized chicken, basketball chicken mushroom. Yeah, that was insane. That Sarah turned into an incredibly delicious uh, second now, course. Now, mushrooms seat. in the city, I see them. Yeah. You know, where dogs kind of go and sure, stuff. But this is sure. not what you're eating. No. Well, no. He, Claude found ours from Inwood Park, which is actually a very wild park. And uh, it's a great place. That's but, where you found the basketball-sized yeah. But mushrooms, uh, just underline, you know, be very, very careful with mushrooms. Don't eat a mushroom if you're not 110% certain that it's safe to eat. Yeah. Uh, and there's like, there's um, foraging tours that you can yeah. sign up for if you Google it. Yeah. There's... So, uh, you know, by all means, join the Mycological Society and go on their tours. And they have a lot of very well-informed people who really know mushrooms. And they helped us learn a lot. That's amazing. I mean, I, I just I just love the whole foraging concept i want to do it as a group obviously so i don't trust mm-hmm. myself <laughs> definitely don't trust myself enough but tell us what's going on currently for you too if there's anything you need to promote right. screenings and so on well thank you uh the film is almost done it's been a long process it's about a four year <laughs> four year story which is um a trade just a struggle out creatively but we're really on the finishing touches and uh hope to have the film uh completed this month in the next couple of weeks and uh, we're doing a private screening for our many contributors and friends who've helped us get here, including Sarah and a lot of other people who've really, just out of the generosity of their hearts, you know, helped us. They gave us food, they gave us advice, they gave us expertise, uh, really just out of the kindness. So just a thank you to everybody. So we're having a little party for them. But on the 9th, we are having an open screening at the Stone Creek Inn on uh, 27th Street in Manhattan. And while seating is limited, that's a free uh, free event open to the public. Oh, it's September 9th. September 9th. Yeah. That's a Friday, and uh, it starts at 7. We'll probably roll the film around 7.30 or a quarter of 8, depending I'll on be there. how many people show up. And we did end up making a full meal, so it's... Yeah. And pro- I have not seen the film yet. And so it's wow. no idea probably the best meal I have ever eaten. And I'm 52. I mean, we worked for a year. <laughs> 52 years. And so... <laughs> and, and you've traveled the world, and have, this is the best meal. And my mom was a really good cook, so... <laughs> wow. No offense, Mom, but Sarah wow. kind of blew it out thank of the you, water. Thank you. Wow, Sarah. I mean, it was a collective effort. Yeah, Sarah, and uh, she had a partner, Kelly Faust, and together yeah. the two of them... I just could not blew, have done it without her. They, the two of them just blew <laughs> our minds with what they created. They I just invented wait. stuff off It, it was the, still, like... Cuff. Honestly, the the most fun thing I've ever, just a project, most fun I've ever had. Mm. I cannot wait to see what the both yeah. of you created together. I, I mean, yeah. with all of you, the entire team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what's so important for me. This whole concept of like knowing, 
you know, being in touch with the creative aspect of what we do around food and just in general in life, like how important is it for you guys to be creative in what you do? It's like everything. Kind of is, yeah. Like why I do what I do. Right. Uh, yeah, it's just, uh, it's a compulsion in some sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't really imagine myself not doing that. I've already figured out I'm pretty useless in an office job. Uh, <laughs> Ditto that. I am useless. So, uh, <laughs> we are three useless office people. I'm sort of hoping <laughs> that this creativity us. thing will work out because, um, you know, that's what I'm good at or hope to be good at. Someday. Did you study filmmaking or? Uh, Unofficially, yeah. So undergraduate, I did not. I studied linguistics, of all things. That was back when I thought I'd be a computer programmer. Um, Uh I kind of lucked into film, uh, partly because I'm a bad student. And uh, so I ended up kind of getting tempted away from that idea of uh, being a computer programmer. It's probably, at the time, like a very big procrastination, you know, like putting off this idea of actually taking on a career in computer sciences, which would have involved a lot of work. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, filmmaking's cool. I love it. <laughs> and I really, you get a thrill and a rush when you make something, when you create something. And, and uh, so I just kind of said, stuck with that. And here I am, you know, 30 years later, still doing it and still loving it. Uh, then later it. I did go to a master's program. Uh, my life had kind of wandered down some sort of dead end roads a little bit. And I needed to kind of sort of jump tracks or jump out of a rut some way. So going to film school for me was like a reset button. And oh, I'm so glad the, you did. Yeah. Because then this happened right in front of me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, the, this is the miracle for me right here because uh, Sarah's the Sarah miracle. was very gracious <laughs> no. in, in giving Matt and I the props in terms of doing it. But, you know, what we did was sort of bumble around the city asking people, can we eat this? Mm. Can we eat this? Can you? Can we have some of that? Well, can I tell them of the bloodletting? <laughs> You can. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. But before you do, so, let me just let me okay. just say, like, that's what Matt and I did. We wandered around. Hey, can we eat this? But Sarah actually, like, then took a bunch of like random stuff, like, like oh, garlic mustard this? seeds yeah. and you know <laughs> mugwort, you know, and <laughs> hawthorn berries. We're Is this like, why you were smoking mugwort? <laughs> yes, well, we had a couple <laughs> sessions smoking mugwort. Okay, the so, whole group. <laughs> so <laughs> just I just want to really, really, really underline that you know they took Kelly and Sarah took this random assortment of stuff that we gathered over several months and fashioned, you know, created in really a sense of creation, just one of the most wonderful experiences, uh, food experiences, but like social experiences too. You know, we had, we had six visit, six guests come and eat with us and it was really a magnificent experience. Wow. This is so wonderful. I mean, we're out of time, but oh, I'm going to no. ask you guys just like the last questions. First of all, where can people see your work? Online and thinking, um, anything? So me personally, you yeah. can go to www.clipper.tv, and that's Clipper with a K. There you'll see some of my work. If you want to find out more about uh, Food City Feast of the Five Boroughs, you can go to facebook.com slash foodcitynyc. And if you want to come to the party on September 9th and see the film, you can go to tinyearl.com, foodcitynyc, and sign up for a ticket. If tickets are free, it's just seating is limited, so first come, first serve. Beautiful. And Sarah, obviously. Come see me at Extra Fancy. At Extra Fancy. (laughs) Best thing you've eaten, quick, lately. Best thing I've eaten lately. Um, Something in New Orleans, um, probably. Of course, anything. Yeah, anything. (laughs) I'm like, I just had a lot of good meals there last weekend, so I I can't name Uh, it. My brother-in-law grilled up a beautifully delicious steak while I was on vacation. Oh, that's wonderful. And now the best thing that you've done that nourished yourself outside of eating. Drinking wine in Napa. There you go. I'll take that. <laughs> also, on my vacation in Tahoe, I did skydiving for the first time. Oh. And that was a real. And you're alive. Face Yay. my challenge, face my fears, and uh, 
you know, believe in myself that I could do it. High five on that primary food. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Lars and Sarah, for being on this episode of Primary Food. We're going to check out everything that you've told us about. Primary Food is produced by Heritage Radio Network, a nonprofit member-supported radio station devoted to all things food. So please help keep HRN alive by becoming a member today. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart to donate. Do it now. Thank you. I'm going to be doing it in a little while. Awesome. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.